Welcome to RAQA Today, the podcast that puts the fun back in quality, compliance, and regulatory affairs. Here's your host, Michelle Lott. All right. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Ty. We're going to talk about subpart B from 21 CFR 820 today. So that's management responsibility, quality audits, and personnel. So let's start with management responsibility. You know, what are the first things that come to mind when you think of that particular section? Uh, Management responsibility. The first thing that comes to my mind is the buck stops here. Not actually here, but with the CEO of the company. And that is totally different from a management representative. Management representative is a person responsible for carrying out certain quality management system activities like management review, but management with responsibility is that person in executive management that at the end of the day, the FDA is going to write them the letter uh, (laughs) on their form 483s or their inspection report. What are some of the wildest things that you hear when you are presenting to management representatives or your management with executive uh, responsibility? When I uh, was working in industry, I had uh, several bosses tell me that management with exec, the, the boss that had management with executive responsibility tell me that my job was to keep them out of jail. (laughs) And that's really a pretty low bar if that's your only hopes out of your regulatory and quality department is if you is that you stay out of jail, because it implies there may or may not be any crimes being committed Um, and that you might be out of trouble with the FDA by the skin of your teeth. So, um, yeah, that to me, that's always a, a, a red flag is, is people who are like, I, I need you to keep me from going to jail. I did not go to law school against my mom and dad's <laughs> Dream. strong urging. But yeah. <laughs> so I'm not a defense attorney. I can't keep you out of jail. And then I think the other red flag that, you know, we can see is, is when people are really offhand and they just want you to sign on their behalf that they try to outsource management responsibility, that they try to, you know, outsource as much of the the ownership, if you will, as they can. You know, most of our clients are virtual manufacturers, if you will, meaning that um, they have, they're using contract manufacturers, but many of them have also used design houses as well. And no matter how much of your quality management system and activities you outsource, you can't outsource the responsibility for them. Everything has to be controlled in one way or another, um, be it through your purchasing controls or your internal processes around your quality management system data like complaints. Yeah. I think some of the challenges when you are management, you know, and you have to deal with this very specific requirement is that it takes a lot of knowledge to do it right. You know, you have to have an understanding of quality management systems. You have to have an understanding of what you did and didn't outsource, which means that you basically have, you know, your finger in every pie that's out there, a slice of each cake that your company has. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, I know that it's always been a struggle to bring up, you know, the education level and making sure that people understand everything that's going on in their system. You know, how do you kind of tackle making someone a really good, you know, executive management representative and making someone really understand their quality system and buy into quality management systems? You know, I think some of our best companies uh, or customers, their CEOs, um, they might not can actually do the regulatory and quality activities, but they have got a working knowledge and a healthy or, and a healthy respect, um, far exceeding that of just staying out of jail, where they know that um, properly integrating regulatory and quality is necessary for their business strategy and their business success. Um, and you know, if, if you think about what it means in the life cycle of a startup, you know, most um, startups exit strategy has got a, you know, something to do with a licensing or an IPO or being bought yeah. by a strategic. Well, um, especially strategics are very savvy these days in terms of regulatory and quality requirements and they don't wanna inherit a mess on either the regulatory or the quality side, and they'll actually ding you in your evaluation during their due diligence. So the best CEOs are seeing that, yes, you know, maybe I've hired Lean RAQA in the Lean team to help me execute these things, but ultimately it's the CEO's job to integrate those into a successful business strategy and plan. I think that that's a great answer. And that's, you know, something that anyone who's looking to start a medical device company should have that kind of mindset. You know, you should understand that you, you have to buy into your quality system and regulatory strategy is more than a checkbox activity and mm -hmm. management responsibility, the whole clause of it, you know, it has quality objectives. It has, you know, high level personnel. It has, you know, management review in it quality planning. It's one of the subclauses that end up, at least to me, who, who, you know, does regulatory and quality consulting, it can feel very checkbox activity <laughs> without necessarily driving a lot of meaningful things and, you know, strategic decisions or actually finding the right resources or addressing issues. And how do you shift from that mindset? Because it, it seems so prescriptive. And when you work with a startup in a small company that just might not fit, you know, a management review is completely different for a company with 20,000 employees versus one with two. Right. And I think that there's a little bit of an economy of, of scale, if you will, with the size of the company. You know, two people, there's hardly anything that happens in the entire company unless they are deliberately not talking to each other. And I think that you just have to scale things, you know, certainly for smaller companies, having things on a uh, quarterly basis is way too frequent. And so for things like management review is, you know, making sure that, you know, you're having them annually as part of that checkbox but how can you look at data in ways that don't come up in your day-to-day -day conversation that gives you some early signals about um, safety signals about your product 
or feed and inform things like your design and next generation of your product or your risk management activities. You know, kind of looking at those bigger picture things that while you may get a complaint every now and then, and you may talk about the complaints as they come in and investigate them as they come in, you won't necessarily be looking at them from these perspectives that you could in a meaningful management review. I think that management review is is an area where startups particularly can struggle struggle so much because the data is so limited. And something that I think doesn't cross everyone's mind is that it can be more than just production data because you might not have any production data to really look at. You might not have any complaints when you're that early, but you can always look at, you know, how your design is progressing, you know, your regulatory requirements, which you should be looking at anyway, and also your supplier performances. So there's a lot of of content in a management review that maybe startups don't under don't realize that they aren't addressing, just like you said, in their day-to-day conversations. And I think it's also appropriate to set maybe temporary or shorter term quality objectives that that will be good indicators um, outside of what the company would, would want for its normal commercialization objectives. And, you know, we're talking about quality objectives, but let's talk about the the all-inclusive quality policy that you always hear is posted in the bathroom, posted in the break room. And, and if you've got a badge, it's on your badge. It's on your badge. It's like painted as a mural in the conference room <laughs> with glass. Because that affects everybody, right? Reading the quality, pol- quality policy while they're pouring their coffee is just life-changing, right? It will it's tell like me a, how I am. like a mont- mantra or affirmation. <laughs> that is the, the quality policy is definitely an affirmation for the com- company. It is a mantra. But how do you, I mean, how do you make them meaningful? Because they end up just being a statement and they just aren't, you know, they're posted everywhere. They're like the Kool-Aid, you're, you're, you're told that you're going to like cherry flavor and this is what we're going to say about it. and it's just never been meaningful, you know, at a corporate job, really, or even for startups. So, you know, why is it included? Why do we do it? It's <laughs> not a huge fan of quality policies, to be honest, for that very reason. I've never seen one that was actually meaningful and that didn't just get posted somewhere and forgot about like the extent of people's acknowledgement is when the auditor comes in, take them to the break room and show them the quality policy or read it off your badge or whatever. Um, the, the way to make a, a quality um, policy meaningful is to have quality objectives that, that are, are more specific and specifically support the, are the means to the end described in the quality policy, and then to make management review full circle that those objectives and that end in the quality policy are both, um, you know, meaningful and relevant for your business. That's about the extent that you can, you can go with taking the quality policy to, to be meaningful. This is not so much the FDA, but but for ISO, 
I would get challenged on quality policy statements because they might be missing one word. And they're like, well, it's not because you're missing these, this one word or this phrase. It's not clear how your, your quality policy is fully supporting the objectives of, and I'm just making a clause 4.2.B.6 or what, you know, whatever. I'm just making right. numbers up. But so, yeah, auditors in general have not helped the, um, functionality of, of, of the quality policy of turning it into anything meaningful. I think in industry, it's definitely become very shallow, the quality policy. Like, you know, we made a lot of jokes about how it's literally just posted everywhere and the auditor comes in and you're like, hello, I have it laminated. It is here for review and it's very pretty. But from a deeper perspective, it's so much more important to understand that you have a commitment to quality and to product safety and what you're putting out there. And, you know, that's what all the quality policies say, but I think that they're never really practice. You know what I mean? Like it's about practicing good quality dedication. It's about practicing, you know, it's your affirmation. So you have to work towards it, right? It's about practicing good products that you're developing you know, making sure things are safe, that's, that it should be your number one concern as a, a medical device manufacturer. What are some key takeaways for management responsibility? And we've talked about a lot of things, but what are key activities you should be doing under that management responsibility kind of clause that you're looking at? So one that we've mentioned is management review you know, looking at quality objectives and quality policy, what other things would you advise uh, executive management to be looking at? Well, they, they, there's a, a good bit of discussion that um, foreshadows what's coming in other sections of the quality system regulation. And, and those are the resourcing of the quality management system as a whole. You know, resources adequate to... Um, not only to support your, your product in terms of manufacturing, but also to support, you know, the maintenance and administrative activities of the quality management system requirements in general. And this is where I, I typically see that kind of negative or, or antithesis or antagonistic culture begin in uh, particularly in startups and small to mid-sized companies is because the quality management system is traditionally under-resourced because it's seen as a, a overhead for a cost center rather than something that needs to be built into the cost of the product. And so when things get tight, they, they come to the quality, man, the, the quality system personnel first to say, oh, well, you know, you're overhead, so your department needs to cut this many people. When you're not doing anything to cut the amount of activities that those people are responsible for. So I think, you know, the, that kind of management responsibility section is, is responsible to make sure that quality has enough resources um, to sustain the regular. Yeah, the products, we can't yeah. be superhumans, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's, it's really challenging when you have their like, 20 marketing people and like 20 people in the factory and then there's three quality people it's tough you don't have the time to review and release product appropriately and then everyone's breathing down your neck 
you can't do proper investigations when complaints do come in? Is it something that, you know, maybe you should be really looking at as a design? I think that that's spot on. I think that quality, you know, as a whole, it should be built into the cost of the product. And more than, you know, maybe I'm biased. And by that, I probably am because I've worked in it. But we're asked to do the superhuman more frequently than other people. Yeah. You know? And those activities haven't gone anywhere. Like, even if your sales are down, like, for example, I was pressed one time to make some changes uh, it, for a single document control individual. Now, the number of things that she was being asked to process had not changed. And in fact, had gone up for some, several other business reasons. So it's like you you can you can't have both things. You can't downsize document control and process more DCOs at the same time. Yeah, I think I think resource planning is it's hard because a good quality person will make it feel like you're running so smoothly, and then you wonder why you have such a good quality team, and like oh maybe they are. You can cut it off because you don't feel it as much. And then you cut quality people and it's just like chugging through sludge all of a sudden. I think that that's probably the cost that people don't realize. Like businesses don't realize is that everything's working so smooth. It's going well, but maybe sales are down and we need to cut overhead. So we cut quality. And then it's like, you're just, instead of water, it's sludge now. You know, you talked about, uh, about resourcing and and personnel, but there's a key person that's missing in this discussion, which is your internal auditor. So you have management responsibility that is supposed to make sure that your quality systems are running smoothly, that they are responsible for the overall quality system implementation and maintenance. But you have someone who's going to do the due diligence on that, and that's your internal auditor. Let's talk about quality audits and, and you know, what's your impression when you hear uh, internal audits, quality audits? Well, a good internal audit should almost be an executive summary, or like you said, a due diligence on the, the state of the affairs and the health of your quality management system. And the management with executive responsibility should have a very vested interest because again, they're the person that's going to get the letter with their from the FDA with their name on it. And when I was running audit programs, one thing that was really important to me is that the whoever I was interviewing as part of the internal audit felt like by the time an external auditor came in, that they had been asked all the questions, that they knew what to expect, that there weren't any surprises in the quality management system in either the records or the way that we were prepared to handle, um, handle audits. And that's really important because several times in my career, I've had FDA just walk in with either absolutely no notice or less than a week's notice um, and so unless you're using your internal audit system to keep people prepared, keep them used to the types of questions that they're going to get and the way that they're going to get them, you know, th those audits could just as easily as be a train wreck as they could be successful. Yeah, that's, that's very important because, you know, I think a lot of small companies and startups 
don't necessarily realize the extent of people that can be brought into an audit. You know, if you have pilot production, your quality people can only speak so much, but an auditor can go out on the floor. They can ask questions. They can want to observe, you know, really is at their discretion. And so using your internal audit to prepare your team is, you know, an excellent way to double dip essentially to meet the requirements and provide, you know, valuable experience to the team. I used to do a lot of internal audits and I still do. And and something that I think is always frustrating when you're an auditor is that I feel like internal audits should be strategic in nature and not combative. When you're kind of an external person and you're brought in, sometimes people want to shut down. They just want to do the, again, a checkbox activity. They don't really want to know about the health of their system. And how do you help navigate that? that challenge. I just think it's important that the auditor auditor has a disarming personality and not like I seen I've seen a lot of auditors that are almost condescending because they they act like they're the auditor, you can't argue with me. The the regulations are regulation, these are the facts and and I think that there has to be like an engagement and a level of conversation that happens during an audit so that, that people are comfortable and don't feel like you're out to get them. I, I think that that's so important is having auditors that have good dispositions and good understandings. What's your experience when you have a, a decent sized company and a lot of times they just use internal auditors that already work for them versus hiring someone external. You know, there's a lot of strengths and weaknesses in that kind of approach. Well, one of the strengths is that, you know, that's a good way to manage your, your cost. But a lot of time, a lot of times internal people don't have the extensive um, certification or backgrounds that you can get by hiring a, a external um, person to come do it. And then also having an external person come, you know, me and my team, we have seen dozens and dozens of different types of quality management system in different states of repair. We've seen things done, you know, many, many different ways. So, you know, a lot of times if you have an internal auditor and they've only seen your system or maybe one or two others in their career, they, they might have blinders on. They might think that there's only one way to do things and they might not have a certain um, broader perspective um, or be able to come to the idea, the, the table with ideas of how things might could work better um, as well. Yeah, I know one of my challenges when I was in industry was that, you know, you can come in as an internal auditor, but it's it's harder and more intimidating to challenge on systems that have been in place for a long time. That can be really hard, you know, when you're coming in and, and you are doing internal audits for the first time for this company and you see that something's wrong, you know, you're going to write it up, but then you have to talk to maybe the head of that department about the deficiency that you found. And there's not kind of that you know, degree of separation, even though you think there is because you don't report to them. 
that can always be kind of challenging with internal auditors too. I know that I have been in that position and that, that that's kind of a tough spot to be. Having people external completely to your team will give you a better unbiased review. But then you have the other flip side of that. Auditors who only know how to audit and they're, they lose their practicality. You know, you and I have both seen this all the time when we, you know, go to do an internal audit and you look at the last audit report and you're like, what? How are you writing against this? This isn't a requirement. This is like a nitpicking nuance that doesn't have any meaning to the company. You know, what do you, what's advice that you give for external auditor, like when you're looking for an external internal auditor? Well, you know, I think one thing that that sets us and our team apart is that everybody has actually done the work too on both the regulatory and quality sides and not just know the requirements and how to audit to them. So yeah. I think it's it's totally different having somebody that knows what the work looks like and what it takes to do it in, in all practicality and not just how to go down a checklist and yeah. check a box that you have a procedure and you're doing what your procedure says, but that that things are are actually meaningful. Yeah, a good test for people who want to test their auditors is if they ever challenge you because you don't have the exact verbiage out of the ISO clause or whatever. I feel like that's one of the quickest things that you can quickly understand that someone doesn't have a full understanding of what they're actually discussing or might not have the experience of doing that. You know, you worked in production, you've done internal audits, you have big companies, you know, it it just working in the system and then moving into quality and audit does provide a different experience because I'm not just, you know, we're not just reading, all right, section 4.1, it needs to say exactly this. And you can tell a system isn't very good when you see that too. When I'm like, oh, I'm reading ISO 13485 or I'm reading 21 CFR 820. I'm like, oh, these people. <laughs> copied and <laughs> they, pasted and Yeah, I copy and pasted it. Do they actually know what they're saying that they're doing? Mm-hmm. For internal audits, is there any advice that you would give specific to small startup companies that might have you know, low volume and low production? And how does it make sense for their overhead and, and you know, the scope of activities to do an internal audit? I think that when you first go into commercialization, you need to do one as a kind of a, a baseline to, to kind of set the stage going forward for your quality management system and really understand the frequency and the volume at which you're going to get data to analyze. If you are in really low commercialization volumes for one reason or the other, and you're not getting, you know, much complaint data, you're not having a lot of manufacturing or supplier um, issues come back. And there is really little, very, very little to look at on an annual basis you might be able to do a management review or two and set that baseline for your data and that you're not, you don't have enough data to to create a trend on a yearly basis. 
There's only two of you, so it's not like something's going to happen that one of you doesn't know about. I have been successful with some companies in such a circumstance where we set a risk-based frequency to maybe every other year instead of every year for the internal audit, but that that's discussed as well in, in a management review. And the decision is, is discussed in a management review as a topic, a decision's made, it's documented in the minutes, it's documented in uh, the quality management system procedure for internal audits, um, and then it's reassessed in those years in between. Yeah, and that's a great way to make your management review more meaningful, mm -hmm. you know, instead of that awkward checkbox activity that it can feel like for a small pre-production company. All right, let's talk about personnel and training because I, you know, it's an area as an auditor that you frequently write up against. <laughs> You know, there always seems to be gaps in, in having training requirements established, having a well-executed training onboarding plan, you know, overcoming the challenge of good training versus tribal knowledge. You know, we'll talk about all of this and enroll in it, but, you know, there's a whole subsection on personnel and training in the 21 CFR A20 you know, what makes good training to you? Is it just read and understand? Is it, you know, give me some insight into how you approach training. Yeah, uh, this one's a, a little tricky at a super small company um, and in a startup, especially if there's not a whole lot of personnel, a turnover, and they've outsourced about everything that you can in terms of... <laughs> Contract manufacturing, distribution, fulfillment. So not management responsibility. Not though. management responsibility. We've already seen where that how that ends up. And I also think that this is a, a difference in how the FDA and ISO sees training. I yeah. think the FDA is still largely happy with a, a read and understand, you know, signature page type situation. Which, honestly, for quality management system procedures, there's not a whole lot more to it than that. But where ISO is starting to lean is the auditors wanting to see some type of, like, say, quiz or some kind of documentation where that that was, you know, physically assessed that they really did understand you know, what they, they read. I think, you know, management review is another good area to be able to assess your training program. Did complaints get opened when they should have and appropriately? Did non-conformances or supplier corrective actions get opened timely and on issues that they should have? And if those things aren't happening, if you have data that indicates elements of your quality management system aren't happening or aren't happening at the right times, that's a good sign that somebody's not understanding how or when to use your quality management system. That That's a great point. It's about the timeliness indicator because a lot of times you can work with a team in marketing and they have a complaint that maybe they found five days ago, they were still discussing with the customer, but they never forwarded it to your quality or regular you know, department 
for adverse event reporting. And, you know, you have a requirement to do that basically in two days to make sure that it's not reportable. That is a good a good place to to have an indication if your training program is is meaningful, if, is if you see a trend that things aren't getting open quicker. You know, I, another area that I see training is really well documented from a production standpoint, you know, workmanship and and on the job training, making mm-hmm. awareness of defects. But production is trained very well on how to make good product but they're not trained very well on how to work in a quality system. Kind of what's your experience with that? Yeah, I think that that's a great point is there's a difference between knowing and having the workmanship criteria to identify if the product was made correctly, but what happens when it was not made correctly and what to do with it is just as important as what to do with it when it is made correctly. So being able to understand when to write up a non-conforming material report on it. When is something significant enough that it needs to be brought to the attention of purchasing so that they can contact the supplier? Um, When do you need to do uh, inventory evaluation of product you have on hand? Um, All of these things are signs of um, being able to know what to do when with your quality management system and getting it documented and contained appropriately is just as important, if not more, if not more important than building the product right in the first place. And an example of that is um, when I worked at a big medical device and pharma company, the FDA came in and they walked through our batch record room, which was, I mean, hundreds of thousands of batch records. And they walked down and they just randomly pointed to five. And the first one he audited had a sterilization out of limits. It had, <laughs> it had a label reconciliation. It had like the biologic something grew in it. It had a chem lab out of limits. Any one of them was a huge. A big deal. Big deal. (laughs) Much less five all in one. And we were just all holding our breath and we're like, crap, how did he, out of hundreds of thousands, how did he get this one? And we're just holding our breath the whole review. And he's like, I can stop now. After he reviewed that one, he's like, I saw when everything went wrong and you did it right. And this is why you have a quality management system. And I'm confident that you've used it correctly and that you contained your product correctly. And I don't need to look at any more batch records. Wow. That must have felt so good in that moment. I'm sure you were just like, I could, like the first one, I'm sure you could even see in my face when you said the sterilization was out of limits. And I was like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> how did this get released? <laughs> that's scary. That's really scary. But that's a great example that your quality system is working well. I was going to mention that the other thing I know that I I had talked to someone on my team once in the past and there was a heat sealer 
And it was just starting like over the course of six months, the seal's heat was just increased a little bit every time. And we looked and it was still within limits. But I, you know, I asked this person, I was like, you know, have you ever brought to anyone's attention that this is like a full degree different now by this point, like running consistently a little bit hotter? And he was like, no, I didn't even think about that. Is that an issue? But I'm like, it's not. But are you going to wait until it is? Like, you going to wait because you see your seal going hotter and hotter and hotter? You're going to tell quality. We should probably revalidate, maybe take a look at our sealer and see if it needs some maintenance. Oh, that batch record story, though, that still makes my heart like, ooh, I bet that was, that was probably a lot of feelings all in one moment. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was literally all of the exceptions you could have. So we had all the feelings about it. With that, I think that we have done a pretty thorough uh, treatment here of um, management responsibility, quality audit, and, and training. So. If you guys missed it, we have part one that's kind of a general overview of the quality management system in general. We also have design controls as its own separate training on YouTube here. So be sure to look at those if you want the rest of uh, hearing me and Ty get on our soapboxes about all kinds of things.